0: everybody. This is Tina again, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I have a really cool guest on today. I have Chelsea with Tribe on here, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you guys. I think you're going to really enjoy listening to her. Chelsea, say hello to everyone. Hey, guys. Hey, Tina. Thanks for having
1: me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Hey, I'm excited to have you. So first of all, we have some really interesting stories to talk about. I'm really yes. excited to get <laughs> to get into those. But just kind of real briefly, let everyone know what is TribeRN and where, I mean, you haven't paid to come on here or anything, but just to kind of let everybody know where wh- what you're connected to. It's not like a commercial or anything. Yeah. It's just kind of like, what is TribeRN?
1: Yeah. TribeRN is a company that we started originally just as a physical resource Uh, For nurses and nursing students. And as much as I really loved creating these tools for myself, my husband encouraged me to create them for the rest of the nursing world. So, with a little bit of hesitation, I did that. But I really missed connecting with my nursing peers. So, I started a Facebook group, and that's really the primary resource in terms of like reaching lots of people is um, Tribe RN Nurses on Facebook. So if you want to join us, I would so love to meet you all there. And you can also find our resources and tools on our website,
0: www.tribern.com. That is awesome. I think that anytime, social media has been wonderful for nurses in general. I mean, for for everybody, but but nurses specifically, I think we we need a place where we can kind of vent to each other and we can have, you know, we, we're different. We're a different breed of people. Yeah. So when you talk to other nurses, we get it. You know, we get mm-hmm. the stress. We understand the dark humor that we have to have in order to be able to deal with all this stuff that we have to deal with. And so yes. it's kind of nice to get in a place like that, to be able to, you know, to to vent, to to bounce things off of each other. I, I just love it. And so I really appreciate you for doing that. I love yeah study tools. I love learning guides, what you did. You know, you're saying you called yourself a nerd. I think that is awesome. I think that, being a nerd is is cool. The fact that you're a nerd, it means that you care about what you do. It means that you yeah. want to know everything you possibly can know about your patient population, about what you're doing to help your your patients. I, I really do love creating
1: resources and tools for fellow nurses because as I was creating them for myself for resources for my use on the daily, daily shifts, they were falling apart. And so I was having to create them more and more. And so my husband was like, let's create them for real so they're not falling apart. <laughs> heart. And anyway, so there we go. Tribaran was born. But Yay. thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here and chat with you.
0: Wonderful. So I guess we can get into our, our stories. We've got a little news story. Of, of course, it's got to do with the coronavirus, but something that just literally came out uh, in the news. So I thought it would be cool to talk about this because it is something kind of different. And then we have a surgical tech story. So- mm-hmm. That's interesting. I couldn't find a bad surgical, I mean, excuse me, I couldn't find a good surgical tech story because it's kind of not, It's you know how the news is. They they are going to like want to grab headlines. And so most news people are not going to know what a surgical tech is probably. So that's not going to be in a lot, you know, you can't really Google like surgical tech and hero and that sort of thing. (laughs) <laughs> but I do have a cool story from that was sent in by a listener. So I have a really cool good nurse listener story. So I'm excited to, to get to, to tell those I get so many of those. And um, I, I love when I have an opportunity to be able to talk about one of the stories that a listener sent in. So
1: that's awesome.
0: So this new story. Oh, my goodness. Chelsea, what in the world? I, at first, when I first saw it, my husband sent it to me and, and I freaked out. Like, and that's exactly what they intended for me to do. I fell uh-huh. for it hook, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, you know, the coronavirus originated in a lab in Wuhan, China. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this?
1: Well, you know, I think that a lot of it is news hype. Everybody wants to point the finger at somebody. But I think we don't have enough details to really say anything at this point. Yeah. There's so much I don't know, fluff floating around here. Yeah. I think what we do know is that we don't know enough. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't really base any conclusions off of the information that was in that article.
0: Yeah, because it's not it, it, I and I I look cuz so my husband sent me a link from one news source and I thought okay, is this real? So I started looking and it actually is coming out of several different news sources, Reuters, CNN. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm like, it, and basically it's sort of like the U S is looking into the possibility, like it's very vague, yeah. uh, that, that it came out of a lab, but it's one thing that, that is clear that they're, they're saying very clearly is that it was not, this is not, uh, you know, bioterrorism. This is not that they were trying to create a virus that would spread. Will wolf- worldwide trying to kill people. And it was not anything like that.
1: Yeah. And I read another article, you were saying there were several, you noticed in the news. Yeah. I read another one that was tracking patient zero from this lab that where the virus originated. So anyways, it's all just a bunch of emotion stirring headlines.
0: My husband actually, he's, because when he sent me the message, I was like, what is this? And so he's texting, because this literally just, I, I i just saw some of these, some of these articles are just flying off, you know, the presses. So yeah, today he said that this story is, and then of course he's saying, is this a story? I don't know if it's true. And that's what we have to say. It's who knows what in the world is really true. But one of the stories is that a lab technician was bit by a bat that was mm-hmm. infected. and then that was patient zero, that that that's how they were infected with the virus. And and then it spread from there. It wasn't intentional. It was they were literally just doing their experiments. But what he is saying that one of the stories is, again, multiple stories, multiple takes. Who knows how it's being spun? It's all politics. But one of this (laughs) yeah, one of the stories is that China stopped all local travel in and out of wuhan mm-hmm. at the time that this first happened when it first happened and you, you you know this lab technician was bit was bitten and and all of this happened they stopped all local travel in that area but they mm-hmm. allowed international travel to continue oh. that's what the the question is like that they kind of knew there was a problem and they didn't want to they didn't want to fess up to it. And so they kind of let, they like, were trying to keep it under, under wraps. And then the next thing, you know, someone on a cruise ship got it and there was no, (laughs) it just spread all over.
1: coronavirus, uh, as we know it today, appeared.
0: Yeah. So that's the story, whether or not it's true. I, you know, the news stories are always kind of like just sort of an icebreaker. Who knows? It's, so it could be anything. And so I just thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about this. But, you know, definitely keeping in mind that we don't know what in the world's going on. It could it's all speculation, but we know that it definitely originated from Wuhan, China, whether or not it it was, you know, this open air market where wild animals are, you know, sold and viruses are known to originate from this source. Okay. So right. this is known. This is not speculation at all. We know that very serious viruses come out of this, the practice of, you know, selling meat in an open air market like that. Ugh. So. <laughs> Sounds super sanitary. Mm. And it's, and this is something, <laughs> that, you know, and the, the rest of the world is going, you know, this needs to stop. We need to be putting pressure on China to stop this process, to stop them from doing this and and just make it illegal to do it so that the whole world is not put at risk because every year there's some or, or maybe every few years there's some new virus that's come out of this one source from you know from these open air meat markets so i guess we can get into this bad surgical tech story Let's do it. so this story is actually about a surgical tech by the name of Kimberly Rico, and it's spelled H R I C K O, but it's pronounced Rico. The H is silent, and her husband Stephen Rico. So these two were on vacation in Maryland, in Harbortown at a Harbortown Resort. It was Valentine's Day. This was 1998. They had just attended a dinner theater about a murder mystery. I've always thought, just incidentally, just, I've always thought I want to go. To, I've never been to one of these. Have you ever been to one? Me either. No. It sounds like fun. Yeah. I think it sounds so cool. I've never been to one, but when I was reading the story initially, I was like, oh man, yeah, that sounds like it'd be fun. But in this actual murder mystery dinner theater show, the bride poisons the groom during his toast to her and so during the show it's revealed at the end that the bride killed the groom and that's what that's the the murder mystery that they went to see on this Valentine mm-hmm. you know like retreat so Stephen was actually hoping that the getaway could reignite their marriage because they were definitely having problems in their marriage it was mm-hmm. this was sort of like a last you know, op, uh, a last ditch effort to maybe see if maybe they could make things work because it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't going well. And he asked his friend Mike for advice. And he, Mike was remembers that he recommended staying at the Harbortown Resort and he hooked them up with a beautiful private cabin on the water. And friends and family recall that Kimberly was really controlling. She was a very controlling kind of person. And she didn't like um, for Steve to have much of a social life, which is, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: it's kind of strange to me because I remember reading this story and seeing where she was kind of the one that was wanting the marriage to end and he was the one that was wanting it to work. So... Mm -hmm. To me, it seems odd that she would be controlling of him. You would think that she would be the one, kind of like, do whatever you want to do. Right. So later in the story, Kim recalls a time when Steve came home late from work, drunk, because we, he had been with his friends, and she wasn't happy about this. This is, mm-hmm. some, it, you know, it's just again another incident where she wasn't in control, and he is acting in a way that apparently she's not, not happy with.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so they had a great time at the show the dinner, you know, the dinner theater and the couples that were sort of around them sat near them they said they felt like they were a great couple they were, seemed to be really involved with solving the murder mystery they seemed very engaged and according to Kim after the show they went back to their cabin and Stephen was very drunk he was pressing her to be intimate with him She already told him she didn't want to do that on this trip. So apparently she kind of like up front was like, okay, yes, I will go on a weekend with you, but this is not going to be an intimate thing. Like we, that's not going to be part of it. It's going to be Mm -hmm. just us having fun going to the dinner theater, seeing if we can kind of reignite feelings, but it's not going to go any further than that. Uh So they started arguing and Kim got upset. She left the cabin and she said she was going to stay at a friend's house nearby so she's on the interstate for a few hours, got lost. So she turned back to the cabin. She get gets back to the cabin and it's up in flames. I mean, this is, this woman's luck is just not very. <laughs> right. Not good at all. Just really it bad sounds luck. super plausible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of give you a little background on Stephen and and Kimberly, they were set up during college by mutual friends who were the Millers. They all went on a double date back in 1984. The Millers said that Steve immediately fell in love with Kimberly. They were an interesting couple because they were very opposite of, of one another. Steve was really shy. Kimberly was extremely outgoing and made sure that she was involved with her community. She volunteered at a woman's shelter, just sounded like a a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. They were married in 1989. And then a year later, a year later had a baby girl named Anna. Steve was a supervisor at a golf course. And Kim, of course, was a surgical tech. So they had a a nice life, you know, just a a very nice middle-class lifestyle with both of them working good jobs. So over the years, friends said that Kim, of course, she was very controlling. One source <laughs> said she was a Bible bumper. I don't know what in the world. I never know <laughs> what that means. I'm like I don't know either. I always imagine somebody hitting someone over the head with a Bible and I just don't I'm like, do people really <laughs> do that? Is that a thing?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that's about.
0: <laughs> Coworkers knew from the small conversations over the years that Kim wasn't satisfied in her marriage. They knew, you know, she was one of those people. We all have those people that we work with that uh-huh. have no problems just letting everybody know everything's going on in their personal life. And sounds like she was one of those people because she, right, everybody kind of knew the marriage was not good. Mm-hmm. So in 1997, Kim decides to ask for a divorce. Stephen is heartbroken and he actually continues to fight for the relationship because he was still in love with her and he wanted it to work N- not long after um is when he calls his friend Mike Miller the friend who you know initially set them up Steve's best friend and then Mike was the one that hooked them up you know so that's how this sort of all came together and you know kind of in hindsight and you know mm, to be the friend that was the one that sent him there right how bad does Mike Miller feel now I mean gosh I would probably never get over that you know just right constantly I'd
1: never be making matchmaker again mm-hmm.
0: yeah from the from the very beginning where you were the one that set them up to you're the one that told him what resort to go to and just oh
1: right And now you've been his confidant, obviously, throughout their marriage. It sounds like he, Steve, continuously went back to Mike to kind of be his confidant and give him advice or maybe just be a listening ear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. boy. in retrospect. But, you know, we don't always have the benefit of hindsight. And that's just the thing. We can just beat ourselves up all we want to. And it, it doesn't solve anything, but it's hard not to at the same time. So Kim arrives at the cabin. It's up in flames. She looks for help. It's about one o'clock in the morning, so there's no one around. She called 911. Resort workers rush over to help put out the fire. They get inside. They pull his body out of the flames. His face and torso are charred to a crisp. Mm. I mean, what a horrible, horrible scene and just a terrible right. you know, situation all the way around. These I mean, even just the the people working there having to do this.
1: I can't imagine being the EMS crew or the police department, like those first responders that deal with those kinds of circumstances, I utmost respect for
0: them. Me too. Me too. It's just, oh, how horrible. When the police come, they notice that Kimberly is being very dramatic. She's crying. Investigators notice a few things right away at the scene that make them suspect and had them kind of thinking maybe it wasn't an accident, but it wasn't really enough evidence to keep Kim in custody at the time. My thing is, and I, I say this a lot whenever I'm doing a story like this about like a spouse or someone who has lost a loved one and, and suspicion is cast on them. And they always say, well, they didn't act the way someone would act if they had just lost someone. And I'm always thinking Do we really know how people are supposed to act? Like, that always bothers me, like Mm -hmm. being really dramatic, being tearful. If she wasn't being dramatic and tearful, they would have said she wasn't at all upset. She had no emotion. She acted like she didn't care. It's just, you can't win.
1: No, you can't. And it's the same thing with like when you deal with death on the unit and you're the nurse. Okay, so if you get tearful, they're like, you need to calm down. Or if you're completely blank and you're like, all right, where's
0: my next admission? then they're concerned about that or, you know, it's the same thing. Thank you for saying that, Chelsea, because that is is something that all nurses at some point, if you work at the bedside, will have to deal with. And the thing is, when you're taking care of patients at a hospital, you have multiple patients. Even if you work in an ICU and you have two patients, you still have another patient who's probably Mm -hmm. very sick that you have to take care of. So you can't afford to just break down and, because you've got to keep working. You have to, you know, and so you may have been taking care of this patient for days, in some cases, maybe weeks, this person has been here and you've off and on taken care of this person and now they're dying. And so you are put almost in a situation where do I show emotion? And I know that I personally, I can't, I cannot let myself Get emotional. I have to be s- sort of like stoic in a way. And I, wor- I worry sometimes that I do come across as callous because I'm a very emotional person, but I can't be the way I just want to be, like I wear my emotions on my sleeve at work. I have to be, I have to, sh- it's a, It's all or nothing with me. So I do become very just, you know, and so I go in, I give my, you know, the pain medicine, the anxiety, med- whatever, you know, the morphine, Adivan, whatever you're giving for mm-hmm. like a comfort care patient or something. Yeah. And I just I just do what I need to do and I leave. I'm not going to be that nurse that's going to stand there talking to the family, you know. And I feel terrible because I know there's so many wonderful nurses that are that nurse. I just can't do it because I would be crying and breaking down. Like I can't do both. I can't be both people. So yeah. I just have to be the nurse if I'm in that situation. And so I just have to kind of leave it to them. Now, I will, like, hold their hand. Like, I'll show some compassion. I definitely am very somber, just kind of like, I don't know. It's just different, but I'm definitely not going to be talking a lot. I just can't can't do it.
1: Well, and I think that's okay. I think we have to deal with what works for us. As long as you're not allowing yourself to be calloused, as long as you're not allowing your heart to harden, because we need those emotions there so that we can continue to relate and be compassionate with our patients. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, is it okay for you to be sobbing worse than the family member that's sitting there? No, No. you have to compose yourself. And so figuring out that fine line for you as as a person, because you're not just the nurse, you are a person, but it is a fine line to walk and we can't judge each other's way of
0: dealing with that emotion because it's so different for everybody. Sure. It absolutely is. We all have to kind of figure out the best way for us to deal with it and still be able to take care of our patients, be mm-hmm. professional, you know, remain a, I, you, because I feel like, you know, the family is sort of dealing with all of the stuff that they're dealing with. And if you show too much emotion to the family, you can you make it about you and then they start right. and it's like, they need to be mourning and it's about them. Yes. So uh, what I tend to do is just kind of stay, uh, sort of stay a compassionate, neutral figure and say as, m- as little as I possibly can. I'm very quiet. I just kind of in and out. I say what I need to say, that sort of thing. And then yeah. if they try to talk to me, I always will talk to them. You know, I'll just, talk, I don't know, just as minimal as possible. I, I just feel like that's just the best way that I can handle it. But then usually it's like, not even that night, that night, I just usually go home and don't like, don't want to talk about it. And then the next day, I'll talk about it with my husband and I usually will start crying at that point. Like, yeah, Yeah. this guy, like he's been on our unit for like, you know, and I'm just like, oh gosh, here it comes. You know, it just comes out, you know. But you allow yourself
1: to feel it when it's appropriate for you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what we have to learn about
0: ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of new grads and nursing students that listen to this podcast. So I love it when we have opportunities to stay, to say things like this, because it's something I wish someone had told me at the beginning, Yes. you know. So Mm -hmm. I love this sort of thing. So to kind of get back to the story here, there were some fishy things going on here. So I know we're trying to give Kimberly the benefit of the doubt, but there (laughs) were definitely some some definitely questionable things. Investigators noticed that Kim's story of driving for two hours, being lost, then turning around to come back to the cabin didn't really line up with the timing Mm -hmm. like they said okay so the show ended at this time you said you drew you drove for two hours got lost came back found him in the fire and so it did not match what you know her story is these police officers it's not their first rodeo okay they know right (laughs) they know how to do this and they also noticed that the friend that she was trying to go stay with was only about 20 minutes away. So they're thinking it was kind of convenient, I guess, for her to say that she was lost, maybe. Um, Yeah, for sure. You know, on the scene, they they find an artificial log in the fire wasn't supposed Mm -hmm. to be used in that particular cabin. So that was something that they feel like could have been placed intentionally since it wasn't really supposed to be there to begin with. Mm -hmm. They found cigars um, with only one opened and burned on the floor next to the package of the rest of them. They found a receipt and saw it was bought that night, The, the, the cigars. Okay. Kim said that Steve liked to smoke when he drank, but not, None of Steve's friends or family ever recall him smoking while he was drinking. (laughs) When his body was pulled out of the fire, he was on the ground next to the bed with two pillows underneath his head.
1: That's a weird detail to me. Yeah. Very strange. Why did she put Or Sorry, I'm already accusing her. Why (laughs) is there two pillows under his head? Did she make him sleep on the
0: floor since we're not being intimate here? What's going on? It's not. It doesn't make any sense for him to be really on, on the floor there. Um, Playboy was open on the center page on the stovetop next to him. What in the world? That's just bizarre. Yeah. I, any way you look at it, like if if the most innocent thing happened, you know, just giving her the absolute benefit of the, benefit of the doubt and saying like exactly what she said happened happened. What in the world? Why would that? Why would the Playboy be open to the center page on this? St- I don't know. That just- when she
1: immediately, like in the beginning, she said that they weren't going to be intimate and that the, yeah. none of that was going to happen. And now all of a sudden, I don't know. He just packed yeah. the Playboy just in case or mm-hmm. just in case she right. decided to leave so he could
0: have it? I don't, I don't know. Just Yeah, it just completely doesn't make any sense. Investigators noticed that Kim was not like she wasn't really acting like a regular grieving widow she was very interested in the details of the investigation Mm. she wasn't at all interested in planning the funeral and just was like oh cremate him and then she didn't really show a lot of emotion at the funeral i to me and again, it's not really probably fair to say how someone should or shouldn't act in a situation like this, because I don't know how I would act if I could, I don't even think about that. But the thing is, it seems reasonable that someone would maybe be more numb at the beginning when it first happened, when sure. they, this is so shocking and police get there and you're just almost like frozen, you mm-hmm. know, just like, I, what just happened? This is impossible. There's no way he's dead. There's no way this just happened. And then you wouldn't show emotion then. And then at the funeral, when reality sets in, what's happening? He's about to be buried. That's when the emotions, it seems like, would come out. But it seems a little backwards here.
1: I don't know. Again, I don't know how I would deal with it. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing just doesn't
0: seem to add up. Well, investigators, of course, they're going to go and talk to friends and acquaintances of Kimberly and Stevens. And they said Kim would call them and ask what, you know, what the investigators talked about when they came uh. around. So there actually when the autopsy report came back, there was no carbon monoxide in Stevens' bodies. If he was like drinking alcohol to the point of just passing out. Mm-hmm you know, drinking, uh, smoking his cigar, drinking his whatever, on the floor with his two pillows and his playboy <laughs> up on the stove. <laughs> and then he just like passed out. And then the cigar caught the place on fire. Okay, this is supposedly the story that this genius, uh, you know, whatever. If this happened, he would still be breathing. Uh-huh. Even if he's passed out, he's alive. So he should still be breathing. Therefore, he should have carbon monoxide in his lungs and in his body. So there was not. Right. Red flag. Oh, absolutely. That led them to believe that he was dead before the fire even started. Another thing that was really interesting is that his blood alcohol level was was
1: 0.00. Right. That also
0: was red flag number two. Okay. So someone says, Oh, he was just drinking all night. He kept wanting to be intimate. He liked to smoke cigars while he was drinking. And then there's his blood alcohol level is point is 0.00. Those two things absolutely do not line up whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There weren't any traces of drugs in his system. But because of the fact that there wasn't any smoke inhalation, there wasn't any carbon dioxide in his body the medical examiner changed the cause of death from smoke inhalation to probable poisoning, which is kind of interesting to me because I'm like, how does a medical examiner just say probable when they don't have any evidence of any kind of poison? I don't even understand how you do that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just ruling out all the other options and then you are left with that.
0: One of the other stories that we did a couple of months ago, I think it was in December that I did December or January that I did this. It was it was actually a bad medical examiner story. And I
1: listened to that one.
0: That story still just drives me crazy. I'm just it it's one of those stories that sticks in my mind because it scares me to death because the system it's flawed. There's no doubt Mm -hmm. about it. And that's what i think of here i'm like he just this one person has all this power to just change it from he's he started out saying it was this and then all of a sudden well no it's not this it's probably poisoning i don't like one person having a lot of power yeah and it's definitely the case here cuz we whether or not kimberly rico you know we're we'll talk about what happened with her but at the end of the day we are all going to be subjected to the same system the, the same criminal justice system so if it's, if it's completely acceptable for a medical examiner to just decide on a whim, it's this, no, it's that. And he really doesn't have to have, he or she really doesn't have to have any actual evidence. That scares me a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a whole lot of other autopsy evidence because he was burned.
0: Right. That's the thing.
1: I mean, what if he had a heart attack? I mean, I don't
0: know; It just seems odd. Yeah, probable poisoning that bothered me. I mean, to, mm-hmm. I can understand changing it from smoke inhalation. If you see, there's no, there's no smoke inhalation. There's no, you know. Yeah. I understand changing that to questionable, even even probable homicide. Maybe you know, just based on the the suspicious circumstances. But the probable poisoning thing, I don't get it. If there's no trace of anything, mm-hmm. so at that point they took Kim in. They questioned her. She got very emotional. She said that before she told anything, she wanted to talk to her daughter Anna, and they felt like, eh, "This is, okay, that's enough. We can, we're going to go ahead and just arrest you." So they did arrest her at that point. She went to trial in 1999. The story basically, she almost got away with murder because there really was not a whole lot of evidence because she did. I mean, but he his body was was burned so Mm -hmm. the prosecution believed though that she stole a paralytic agent from work which was very fast acting and metabolized metabolized very quickly in the body and would not show any trace in the the agent that we're talking about is choline. we've talked about that on the show before because he's she's not the first person that's thought to do this yeah and so that's their theory that, you know, she is a surgical tech, she has access to these medications, and they think that she maybe slipped it into maybe into her scrub pocket or something at some point, injected him somehow. This is really scary. succinylcholine is a, you know, we've, we've explained this before because it's a paralytic. It's not a sedative. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, oh, it's awful. Oh my gosh. Talk about torture. Like you just Mm -hmm. literally shut down all the muscles. Your diaphragm is a muscle. You're not going to be able to breathe. Your brain
1: is still firing away. Breathe, breathe,
0: breathe. Yeah. And you're completely aware. Can't do anything. You you can feel pain. Mm -hmm. You can be scared. You can have anxiety. All of the horrible, horrible feelings. And I'm sure your brain is working overtime, shooting out all those chemicals to make you feel all that. And so... Here's a thing you can do. You're absolutely paralyzed. You can't call for help. You can't move. This is what the prosecution believes she gave to him and mm-hmm. then oh. set fire. I mean, really? That's crazy. I mean, you can just hope that he
1: was dead before she set fire. Oh, no, it sounds like he was, right? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Well, Because could you imagine if he wasn't dead and then she set the fire and he's sitting there suffocating? He wasn't
0: breathing because he had this calling in his system. Oh, right. That's what's horrifying to me. I'm like, oh my imagine? gosh. Is this why? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe he really was alive when she set fire to the place. Maybe, oh, my
0: gosh. I just getting worse. I really hope that he just stopped breathing and died and then she set the fire. Let's just hope that that's what happened. I hope so. It's bad enough if that's what happened, you know, in reality. That's so awful. They did not find an, any evidence whatsoever of a needle insertion in his body. But I think it was because it was, he was burnt. Yes. I mean, yeah. they said he was charred and fully black, so you wouldn't. Expect to find it. Even if someone was injected, you wouldn't expect to find that, right? Yeah. But still, lack of evidence. So the the fact is, with what with the evidence that is there right now, where we are in the story, what has happened? She she went on a weekend getaway, Valentine you know Valentine's Day getaway with her husband, trying to work things out. He, you know, they get an argument. She leaves. You know, somehow passes out, even though his blood alcohol level zero, but whatever. Let's just say he passed out for whatever some other reason, and then the place catches on fire. I guess you could say there's a possibility at this point she could get away with it because there's not... I mean, that's pretty damning evidence to me, but at the same time, it's it's not exactly a smoking gun. It's not, sure. You know, it's not like they found succinylcholine and her, you know... Right. But the thing is... She could not stop talking. And she was such a, I mean, for crying out loud, this woman. She (laughs) talked so much. She had so many people, like a frigging train of people coming into, into the courtroom to testify against her, one after another of her talking about this, about. Uh-huh. Her wanting to kill him, she literally tried to pay someone to kill her husband. One of her coworkers said that she asked if she could pay him fifty thousand dollars to kill her husband. She, he thought it was a joke, mm-hmm. and he said he actually told her, "You, why don't you just do it yourself? You work in the OR; you know how to put people to sleep." So. Mm, <laughs> Ouch. So another guy, his name was Brad. He was 20, 23 years old. He was in the service. He was having an affair with Kim. He testified that she was planning on leaving her husband and that she was having an affair with him. Another friend, her name was Teresa, she said that Kim told her she was thinking about killing her husband. She said, Why don't you just divorce him? Like, Teresa was like, Why are you, you know, like, why are you thinking about killing him? Just divorce him. Then she right. told her about the life insurance. And she said that she and her daughter could get all this life insurance would be able to live the life they always wanted.
1: This girl. Now she's just living in prison instead.
0: Exactly. Jennifer, another coworker, says Kim wanted to kill her husband to avoid custody battle over Anna. Rachel, another friend, said Kim told her about a plan to kill her husband, but she wasn't sure if she was serious. All of these people are paraded through the courtroom to tell one after another of Kimberly telling them how she wanted to kill her husband, how she had life insurance, how, you know, can I pay you $50,000? Like, my goodness, I cannot imagine how (laughs) stupid. I'm sorry. I never, I usually don't. I try to stay kind of neutral in these stories, but good grief. This is ridiculous.
1: Right. Yeah. If she could have kept her mouth shut, you would have had to stay neutral because you really wouldn't have known and she probably would have gotten out. Yeah.
0: but too many people Testified about things that she said. There's no way all of these people were lying, mm-hmm. or somehow like what? What? What could they possibly gain from going and testifying? You know about this. Right. So that was all enough evidence for the jury. You know, you, you take the fact that how suspicious it was that he had a blood alcohol level of zero. You know, all of the things like he he his family said he never smoked that sort of thing. Um, just. All of that added with all the testimony, and she was charged with first-degree arson and first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison, plus 30 years. Wow. And that is the story of our bad surgical tech, Kimberly Rico. Bad news. I tell you, she's she's something else. That's that's one heck of a story, I'm telling you. For sure. We always talk on this podcast, whenever we come across stories like this, where it's usually like someone planned it out. It's almost always a spouse. And then they will go into jail and start talking to one of the people, there, you know, the cellmate or the talking to somebody. They always want to talk to someone. And we're always like, people, I don't even understand. Why, what is wrong with you that you're doing this? This woman was beyond helping. I'm sorry, but she's just like, there's just no, no helping her. If she didn't have enough sense to know that like your husband's going to come up missing or or dead, you know, in accidental fire, and all of the people that you had talked to are not going to say anything. They're just going to sit there. Imagine being these people, how guilty they must feel because they never said anything. I right. mean, if one of your really good friends said, you know, hey, I'm just so tired of being married. I just want to get rid of my husband. I, you know, and you're like, what are you? I, I can't even imagine if somebody said that to me. I don't know what I would do, though. I mean, you you would, I hope I would let somebody know that somebody with some sort of
1: authority know that this person had said that. I don't know.
0: I think that it's because I do this podcast a week after week after week, I like research and see these stories of people doing ridiculous things like everyday people that we work with that we are like that are in our lives, just yeah. normal people. These are not like Ted Bundy's, you know, mm-hmm. and Charles Manson's or whoever. These are just people that we work alongside at the hospital. And so I think because I see the potential that can that is out there that is in people, I tend to not trust. I don't trust people. So I think if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, ew nine one one, I got <laughs> I gotta report. <laughs> yeah. I gotta tell you something. This is really bad. So but, crazy! You know, I would hope I. I don't know. It's hard because when you're in the actual situation, I think most people are just thinking this person cannot possibly be serious. Sure, you know,
2: absolutely.
0: So our good nurse story. This is. I love this story. I do too. One of the things that I love about this story is that it was sent in actually by one of our listeners, and I love the the listener stories because. It just it just makes me feel good that someone is you know listening to the podcast and they care enough about us to to actually take the time because we're bombarded with all kinds of you know from everywhere people sending us text messages emails on social media there is just endless opportunities for us to be responding to someone all the time so I always just mm-hmm. feel so honored that someone took the time to actually get on Facebook or, or Instagram or, or go on to the website and send me a message. And so I love to, to be able to tell these stories. I get a lot of them, so I can't do all of them all the time, but I, I try to get around to doing, to doing them when I can. So this story, uh, did you have an opportunity to read through this? Yeah, I did. I thought it was so cool because this is actually a nurse practitioner in Arkansas. Yes. And it was an article that was written about her, and this is very recent. This is from April seventh, so it's right in the middle of all this stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And it's actually about all of the effort that she is putting in to test people and the stuff that the work that she's doing to help out with the you know COVID nineteen with the coronavirus crisis. What did you think about this?
1: I just loved her heart in it and um, all the effort she is putting in working during the day and then coming home and working with her special needs child. Mm. This is the story that you're hearing all across the nation. I mean, all across the globe. I and mean, let's be real all across the globe right now of nurses who are going out and putting their life on the line to come home and resume life as normal, mm. as normal as possible. Oh, yeah. And we're just surrounded by these stories over and over and over again.
0: Well, it says that, uh, and by the way, her name is Nicole Oliver. She's an advanced practice nurse. And in 2019, she was awarded the Arkansas Center for Nursing prestigious 40 Nurse Leaders Under 40 Award for her significant contributions to the evolving science of nursing. I just love that. That's, that's just wonderful. I, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. I feel like she just has her cape. She, yes, she does have her cape, and, mm-hmm. I, and, and and then in the article, it was talking about how you know um, Jacob wouldn't let us wear a cape into you know for real, right. you know, But but she definitely has her, her her um um proverbial cape, and I think that she um she wears it uh, very proudly, and everybody can see it, even though it's not you know an actual cape. But
2: yes.
0: she is a family practice nurse practitioner. She cares for and treats her regular patient population, but she spends her time screening, assessing, and evaluating patients for possible exposure to COVID-19, to the coronavirus. Her tasks include staying on top of the most recent treatment guidelines for COVID-19 patients. How hard is that? Because it, do they not change right. every time you turn around? I get whiplash trying to keep up with that. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Yeah, she notifies her patient the patients of their test results supplies uh, proper paperwork for patients with negative test results. She says with a negative test result there's an urgency to acquire the necessary documentation for the patient to return to work. And with a positive test result there's a fear, anxiety related to the unknown and a need for reassurance and support. She killed she's killing me. I'm just like I love this woman so much when I read this article like it re- the writer of this article is really good for one thing and I'm a sucker for really good writing. So <laughs> Um, uh, 2020 was, of course, the year of the nurse. It is the year of the nurse. Is that that not the most ironic thing ever? I'm telling you, (laughs) it really is.
1: You just can't. You would have never known that 2020 would be what it is today. And the recognition that
0: maybe Florence Nightingale. I know. It's so weird. It's just, I don't know. I don't think there are. She'd be proud. Oh, she absolutely would be proud with all uh, the way that everyone's handling this not just nurses, but everyone in the the healthcare industry, mm-hmm. um, everybody, I just, I look at the hospital and the hospital is so weird because every day feels like a Sunday or a Saturday, you know, every day is so the halls are empty and there's nobody there. It's just, blah. it's very eerie. Yeah. But then I see people cleaning. I see people at the coffee shop. Thank you, Lord, that that's an essential job. Um, Yes! Oh my goodness, I'm so <laughs> I'm glad. so thankful for the people in the cafeteria. I'm thankful for everyone there. The phlebotomists. Oh my goodness, the respiratory therapists. If I, I I've said that if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I will continue to say it. They are absolute heroes. I love them so much. What they do. What about the housekeepers? The housekeepers. Yes. Thank you. Oh my goodness. They're literally in there cleaning. That's all they're doing is trying to clean this mess up. You know. know. So.
1: Everybody, everybody is just going above and beyond to just keep this, keep us alive.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, even before we knew of the COVID-19 virus, this says, um, I've worked with nurses for a long time, always known my colleagues to be heroes in scrubs. While it's no surprise to me to hear about superhuman power nurses are displaying during this current crisis, what caught my attention Most about Nicole's story was the role she plays after she has removed the hazmat suit and mask. So, and that's the the person that's writing this article, and that's what kills me. Like, her writing is so good. I love the way she is, you know, words it. But she said, while it may be easy to recognize the amazing work she does each day as a nurse, it's less likely that you see what Nicole accomplishes each day after her long hours in the testing tent. Nicole, much like many parents across the state, is faced with daily Um, AMI assignments, cooking dinner, doing the laundry, being a wife and a mom. Her son, who normally receives several special education resources and therapies, still needs a mom to help him navigate the AMI educational activities. After spending exhaustive hours providing care as a nurse practitioner, she sets up video chats with her son's occupational therapist, (laughs) speech therapist, and teachers to ensure that he continues to flourish in school. She's devoted to her profession, and she's obviously devoted to her family. She's devoted to her son. I just, oh, what an amazing person. This, the person who was writing this article asked Nicole what keeps her going and what types of support she needs the most, and her answer was very simple. She spoke of how important it was to be kind. She said, be kind to the cashier at the grocery store. Be kind to the teachers trying to reach their students through technology. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I so can, I really, just because I have to use Zoom to, just like you and I are using Zoom right now to record this. It's not easy. And it's taken me a couple of years to really get even, even somewhat good at it. And you and I even struggled a little bit at the beginning. Like, can I, can you hear me? You know, like, can you imagine these poor teachers just instantly having to figure this out? And this is what Nicole is noticing. She's like, notice the grocery store person who is considered an essential frontline worker and who's probably not making a whole lot more than minimum wage, but yet they're not getting put on, you know, they're not getting laid off and and getting unemployment or, you know, having to be quarantined. They're literally having to continue to go to work and handle that nasty money. Oh, my goodness. A
1: nasty attitude. Yeah. So there's no need for that. Mm-mm. Everybody just be kind. Everybody's doing this together. Yes. We're doing our best.
0: Yes. She said, be kind to the healthcare worker who explains the need for restricted visitations and ask your neighbors how they're doing before asking if they have heard the latest on the coronavirus. Oh, my gosh. Yes. The truth is we rarely know the worries and anxieties that are facing those we meet through our uh, throughout our day. And she understands it better than most, the importance of kindness, compassion, and grace. Nurses have always been there during times of stress and fear. And nurses understand that kindness builds bridges that find solutions. Ah! Kills me. I love this. One, the person that wrote this um, article, like, I want to go back and find all of her articles because she's such a good, yeah. such a good writer. It was. Um,
1: That's funny. I was just thinking the same thing.
0: <laughs> and it's not even like it says P.W. admin. Like, I'm like, who is this person? I want to know because they did such an awesome job highlighting. Yeah, Why is her name not mm -mm. on the article? That's I don't know. But I'm like that this writing is really, really it's it's so good. It brings it pulls you in. It really does an uh, excellent job of highlighting Nicole, what a a wonderful nurse practitioner she is and what a wonderful mom she is and just a wonderful human being. So I love this story so much me too. And I just want to say thank you to our listener. And let me just see. I can't remember. Sometimes they don't want me to say who told, and so I have to double check before I say who it was because sometimes they don't want me to say who they are. Yeah, I guess I won't say because it's not real. uh, It's not real clear. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, can I use your name or do you want me to say? And I didn't this time, so I don't want to say. uh, But you know who you are. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate your you um, sending me your story, and you guys continue to do that for me. I, I love it. Well, Chelsea, thank you so so much for coming on to the show. I yeah, I feel like you're going to be a new friend of the podcast. I love your business tribe RN. Remind everyone where they can find your your products.
1: Yeah, www.tribe and you can also find us on Amazon, which makes it super yeah, easy. Yeah,
0: cool. I love Amazon. That's great.
1: Thank you for for having me on your show and I love your podcast and all the news articles that you bring. It's just an awesome
0: balance of of humor and seriousness <laughs> and I really like it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome anytime to come back. I love having people that are enthusiastic especially I love nurses that are kind of, kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, to kind of go out and, and do something different. And I love that, you know, just you took your passion and your husband is helping you. It reminds me of me. That's what that's kind of what I'm doing. My husband helps me. So kudos.
1: My husband is we wouldn't be here. Our <laughs> tribe would, would not exist without him. So, yes, kudos to him. For that's sure. awesome. <laughs> we need those
0: resources. Definitely. That's right. <laughs> Teamwork. Well, you guys know you can find me at Good Nurse Bad Nurse on Instagram and GNBN Podcast on Facebook. You can find me at com on the website. And just be sure and send me an email, send me messages. I love hearing from you guys. And I also want to remind you guys even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, <laughs> be a good nurse. <laughs>